everyone, and welcome to Just Dow It, the podcast for people starting DAOs. I'm Adam Miller, and I'm your host. I'm the CEO of MyDAO, which provides legal entity solutions for DAOs. And prior to starting MyDAO, I did consulting for people starting and operating DAOs. This is the first of two episodes this week. In this episode, we'll cover recent DAO news with our guest. And then later in the week, we will go deeper into an interview with her. Um, so first, let's welcome our guest, Deepa. It's awesome having you here on Just Dow It. Would you please give a brief introduction to yourself and what makes you an authority on DAOs? Thank you so much, Adam, for having me on this show. Uh, I'm Deepa, and I'm building Impact Our Media. It's a decentralized media org. You can think of it as Bankless Tao, but we're exclusively focused on Impact Tao. So Impact Tao's are decentralized organizations uh, that are using Web3 technology to do good. You know, so uh, their the sole purpose is to have a positive impact on the planet or the people. Uh, so my focus is exclusively on Impact House. And uh, we recently conducted an intensive research and published a book, which is the definitive guide to Impact House. So I think that makes me super authority on Impact House. Yeah. So if you wrote the book on DAOs or Impact DAOs, then that definitely counts. And uh, I, I met Deepa at MCON, which is a conference just for leaders in the in the DAO space. And I can say with certainty, certainty that she is an authority on DAOs. So great to have you here again. Thanks for joining. First up is the Just Dow It News Report, where I will summarize this week's stories for the audience and for our guests. And then Deepa, you and I will both share our reactions to the story. Do we agree or disagree? And what makes it relevant for people starting DAOs? The first story of the week is from Coindesk. And the headline is, do you believe in second chances? Another DAO is raising funds to buy a copy of the U.S. Constitution. Inspired by Constitution DAO's attempt last year, the unaffiliated Constitution DAO 2 received $34,000 in public contributions on its first day. Uh, it's very cool because Constitution DAO was one of the first DAOs that I think really put DAOs into the spotlight uh, last year. Uh, got written up in major media, you know, came really close to succeeding in buying a copy of the, of the Constitution with the $48 million that it raised in a week, which was incredible. And I think really highlighted one of the things DAOs are really good at, which is quickly raising money to be allocated later. Uh, so I think it is exciting that there's another Constitution DAO. Um, I feel like actually $34,000 is not a lot for its first day compared to the first one that raised an average of like, I don't know, $7 million a day for about seven days. Uh, but hopefully we will see some success here. So definitely recommend people check that out if they are interested in buying the Constitution. What do you think, Deepa? I think uh, that's when I first heard about DAOs, you know, when Constitution DAO was uh, mobilizing money on the internet last year, because 2021 was all about NFTs and DAOs were like there, but not really there, you know, and that's when uh, they uh, really put the spotlight on DAOs. So I think uh, it's incredibly great. And I'm sure they've gotten smarter this time, you know, like I think if I'm not mistaken, I think the only uh, downfall was the fact that they announced the bidding price and then somebody outbid them. That's what I understood from the story last year. So maybe this time they'll be smarter about how they approach the entire bidding process. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, that guy, you know, who knows how high he would have gone, but certainly the fact that DAOs are generally so open, you know, anyone who's paying attention to this auction will probably know how much money the DAO has 
going in unless they have some kind of off-chain line of credit, which, which could be an interesting approach. But uh, yeah, it will be interesting to see if they're able to buy it this time. And it looks like uh, this new DAO is actually a coalition of 16 separate DAOs, which includes uh, a couple DAOs whose uh, founders we've had on the show. One is Juicebox, another one is MoonDAO. Um, and it does include People DAO, which is related to the first Constitution DAO. Uh, I'm sure they're using Juicebox to raise money, which is an awesome tool people should check out if they've never heard of it. And will be interesting to see what they're able to achieve this time. The second story of the week is from Cointelegraph. And the headline is, Remote work triggers move to DAOs in the post-pandemic world, says Survey. A survey from a sample of the general U.S. public suggests that millennials are more likely to join a DAO than any other age group. And millennials and Gen Z workers are far more in favor of joining DAOs and working remotely than other Americans. So a very cool article here. I don't think it's a surprise to anyone in the world of DAOs that what we're building represents the future of work. And not not all of the future of work will necessarily be DAOs, but certainly some of what's happening here in terms of uh, having leadership and and governance structures that are more distributed, I think appeals to younger people, um, as does just kind of pushing back against the the TradFi or Web2 world that that, um, they're growing up in, where they can see the negative outcomes, whether that's FTX, where one person can walk away with $16 billion um, or other centralized institutions that, that they see. Um, so yeah, exciting to see that uh, a Gen Z. Oh, and this was interesting too. So uh, another quote from the article is that Gen Z respondents most accurately defined a DAO compared to respondents from other age groups. And a majority of Gen Z participants define DAOs as a revolutionary movement changing the future of work. So um, I think on average, from a study I saw a few months ago, or a couple months ago, only 5% of Americans, for example, had even heard of a DAO, but a majority of Gen Z is ready to say that DAOs are going to change the world. So there's, there's a clearly a, a massive shift here happening that's starting with the younger generations. And like most other trends, the older generations will, will catch on soon as well. Um, what do you think, Deepa? Yeah, I totally love this piece of news because I've been saying this for so long that DAOs are the future of work. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so excited about the space and to be here because we are living the future right now and we're defining the future. We are the future, uh, you know, the the leaders, basically. What we do today is going to define how people are going to work tomorrow. And I'm so glad to see that this article appeared. And uh, as part of a study, we spoke to about 30 DAO builders. A lot of them were contributors, not just funders. So it was just interesting to get that perspective because they are the ones who are now working in this new economy and they're getting paid in crypto. It's a totally different parallel system. And uh, I think it uh, does allow a lot of uh, flexibility to people. They can choose their their style of work, where they want to work from. By default, DAOs are internet native, so they are distributed, they're remote. Nobody expects you to be in the office. You can work from uh, a beach or wherever. And I think it really appeals to the new generation. Also, the fact that power is decentralized, uh, you know, everybody has a say in the matter. Like, people are more value aligned and they're looking for different, you know, a different uh, st- organization structure which uh, appeals to their values and uh, you know for a lot of them it'll be the first time that they can earn in crypto you know like maybe that's the way they start uh, owning um, besides uh, the regular fiat currency like this is an opportunity for them to start earning and diversify their income in different assets you know so I think that's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's, it's very cool. And, and even the subtle change from a traditional company to a DAO, you know, in a traditional company, 
you don't get equity unless you're either very early in the project or you're very high up in the organization. And you know, tokens are not necessarily the same thing as equity, but they do give you those governance rights. And the fact that in most DAOs, every contributor at every level gets tokens that give you some amount of governance rights over the entire organization. And even if that's a really small number, even if it's just an arbitrarily you know, five tokens, 10 tokens out of maybe millions or tens of millions or billions, that's still, I think, very different. You know, When you tell everyone in the organization that the more you do, the more say you get versus the more you do, maybe we'll give you a raise, but that doesn't mean you get you know, to vote on, you know, on the board or as a shareholder. So I, I, I think that, that that's one of the things that Gen Z really is responding to here is the fact that they get some say rather than none. Uh, also, I think it's a better alternative to the gig economy right now. Like a lot of them, for instance, the ones who are doing undergrad, uh, they try to substitute their, uh, you know, um, uh, their expenses by taking up like an Uber job or something like that, which is so intensive. Like they have to be on the road, take risks, like look at the phone while riding <laughs> their bikes or whatever. I feel like this is far more meaningful work because especially when mm. it comes to the impact out space, uh, since the community is around a shared purpose and the purpose is to do great and they can earn through bounty systems, they can be at home much more relaxed than being on the road and during you know all extreme conditions and trying to get the food to the person you know like it's i think it's just a far more better alternative to what exists today in terms of flexibility and extra uh income yep awesome all right the next story is from coin geek and the headline is the law is coming for DAOs. The United Kingdom Law Commission announced in November it's seeking views on how decentralized autonomous organizations, or DAOs, can be characterized and fully incorporated into the laws of England and Wales. Uh, really exciting, you know, as, as the audience probably knows, uh, by now I, my uh, company works with the Marshall Islands on legislation related to DAOs, and it's always exciting to see more governments are recognizing that what's happening here is, is meaningful and is going to have an impact, and therefore they need to look at how their laws, um, you know, treat these organizations. Uh, and so, you know, happy to see that the UK is, is coming to this realization as well. There's some really positive quotes in the article from government officials about uh, what they see as the prospects here. And uh, it, one of the sub headlines in the article is a distributed general partnership, which I think is a really um, insightful a recognition of something that's true about most DAOs, which is that if you don't incorporate your DAO in any way, that DAO is going to be seen by most legal systems as a general partnership, right? It doesn't matter whether you, whether you call yourself a DAO or a company or a commune or an onion. If you're a group of people that's coming together for a similar purpose, the law will generally see you as a general partnership. And that has implications in terms of how you'll be treated by the law. So, you know, if a, if a DAO doesn't do anything, that's how they'll be treated by the law. And so they should at least consider whether they want to, um, you know, choose a particular type of legal entity so that they can be treated a particular way rather than just uh, fitting into the default. And so that will be one of the things that the um, the government of the UK looks into here. And this is actually a pretty good article going into a lot of related legal issues, talks about Dow, talks about the SEC and securities implications, talks about Wyoming as well. So really good article for people to check out. Um, I'm curious, Deepa, coming from the impact DAO space, is this, are people looking at legal entities? Are they oh, considering... Yes. 
you know definitely it's, because yeah, okay. uh, it uh, what it does is that if you register yourself especially in the US as 501c3 uh, you know which uh, then you can start uh, getting uh, philanthropic donations for your DAOs right now they're just limited to crypto donations because uh, crypto people are in alignment with what they're doing and uh, you know whichever way they've structured like uh, even if they're not able to give any tax concession, um, crypto people still would prefer giving to DAOs. But once they can formalize themselves as an entity and get, can get that uh, tax status, then they can extend those be- benefits to larger donors. And I think this would really help them raise far more money to pursue their mission. So I think it's a really great news. And I'm glad UK is taking steps and leading because many other countries will follow the suit. It's very important that we start recognizing the space and have legal structures to recognize it. The one that fits the ethos because even if you register your, your DAO as a company like it it's you know you need to have board members and like there are different ways uh, the DAOs are structured so I it's really great that UK is looking into uh, coming up with a structure to recognize uh, and uh, laws to recognize DAOs as a as an entity that uh, is in alignment with their ethos awesome All right. The next story is actually a tweet, and the tweet is from Dr. Nick A. And the tweet is, DAOs should think more like institutions than companies. Institutions do a thing and do it forever. Companies do a thing and extract value for shareholders. Institutions provide a service and can be profitable, but their goal is to be around forever and not cash out. This is the difference in the uh, follow-up tweet, he says, between finite and infinite games. So thinking from like a game theory perspective. Um, I actually don't agree with this tweet. I, I think it's, it's, it's insightful to consider the difference between finite and infinite games for sure. You know, for example, the difference between a project and a product or a project and a, a, a program. There's a lot of companies talk about these things. Um, but I think every project can either be temporary or permanent as its goal. And every, uh, every uh, organization can be either temporary or permanent or somewhere in between. I think it really just depends on the specifics of the situation. And so I think it's a really important thing for every organization, including DAOs, to think about as they're structuring how the organization will operate, um, how it's funded, uh, how its how its governance works. Um, but I, I would say actually that DAOs can be even more flexible than all the set of organizations that are out there today. And so should consider you know where they fall on, on any of these spectrum. Um, what do you think, Deepa? Yeah, I I agree. And uh, I don't know what... Uh, I feel like as long as you are relevant, you'll exist. The moment you see uh, you are outdated, you will cease to uh, not exist, whether you happen to be an institution or you happen to be a corporate. So DAOs, it's very important that they stay relevant with the times. And I feel they have that kind of an advantage because people, new people keep joining the DAO, right? It's not... I mean, uh, the right to entry is easy. It's not that difficult. And new perspectives uh, keep coming in. Uh, people globally are joining DAOs. So it's, you know, there's diversity of thoughts. There's diversity of opinions. Young people are joining. So I feel like uh, as long as the DAOs pursue to stay relevant in whatever they're trying to do and uh, change with the times, I think um, they'll continue to exist no matter whether you call them the institution or the corporation. That's just the naming part of things. Yeah. And, you know, that reminds me too. I wonder if actually institutions are a bad idea in the sense that their goal, if if, if it is indeed their goal, is to stay around forever. Because 
if, if you say I'm doing something now and I'm going to do this exact same thing forever, aren't you implicitly uh, ignoring the fact that reality can change and the needs of the world around you can change? So like I'm thinking about in D.C., you know, here in the States where I live, all these like big buildings that do this, you know, with um, thousands of people doing the same thing they did 150 years ago or 50 years ago with not enough attention paid to whether that's really what they should still be doing today. Um, you know, even though institutions are so valuable in our society and at least in the States and in many other countries are very effective at doing what they do. I wonder if actually no organization should ever have the goal of necessarily being permanent, but should have the goal of achieving something in the world. And if that continues to be valuable to achieve that thing, so be it. And if not, maybe then you, you become less permanent at that time. Yeah. And for instance, like even colleges, which are institutions that have been around for so long, the whole, uh, you know, uh, people are taking a different approach to uh, education. They are studying online. They study by being on the job. Like it's, it's, it's changing. And in the future, uh, if these institutions don't evolve with the changing needs and the requirements of people, then uh, they'll be outdated. People wouldn't want to spend that much money going through a college and they can just yeah. uh, YouTube everything that they want to learn, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I guess if I think about institutions like universities, they probably would say they want to be around forever and they want to adjust to the times as opposed to just disappearing if the times change. But I, 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 I'm, even though I'd feel the same way about my own university, that feels like probably like a human bias to want your thing to live forever when in fact, and, and maybe that's even just built into life, right? I mean, life's purpose is kind of to survive. And so it's probably natural for us to feel that way about our organizations. But at the same time, um, you know, seems like kind of arbitrary decision that we make rather than just saying, well, maybe at some point Harvard or MIT's time is done and we should uh, put the $20 billion of the endowment back into uh, massive online learning for everyone rather than, you know, great in-person learning for a small group of people. And it's happening already, you know, so they have these uh, courses online that you can just take and, and um, upgrade your skills and your knowledge. So it's all happening. As we speak, so yeah. I think nobody uh, means uh, to be permanent. Like as long as you don't, uh, uh, you if you continue to stay in your current form and don't upgrade with times, then you're totally dead. Yep, yep. All right. Next story is from Story Guild, which is uh, hosted on Paragraph.xyz, which looks like a, a Web3 publishing and newsletter platform, which I'm probably going to check out more later. It looks cool. And uh, the author is Miyakoda.it. And uh, the headline is, who are, who are Crypto Twitter's favorite DAOs? We asked Crypto Twitter who their favorite DAOs are, and the results are in. Last week, we asked Crypto Twitter who their favorite DAOs are. All right. And uh, this article mentions, by the way, that there are over 10,000 DAOs listed on DeepDAO, which is quite an advancement from when there was literally exactly one DAO in 2016, when the first DAO ever was created and then quickly failed. Um, as an, another story for another day. And by the way, there are even more than 10,000 DAOs, right? 10,000 DAOs are listed on DeepDAO, but I'm personally connected to dozens of DAOs that are not listed on DeepDAO. And so there's certainly a tens of thousands more that are not listed there. So I'd say there are probably about 50,000 DAOs or more at this time. Um, so uh, going into what they found in this uh, crypto Twitter thread, pulling the world of crypto Twitter for their favorite DAOs, Gitcoin was one of the most popular ones that came up. I'm not surprised because Gitcoin is really cool. It's, it's a successful 
DAO that I would probably call an impact DAO, although we'll have to turn to you, Deepa, for that. Um, and uh, they're known largely for their grants protocol, which uh, started out a bit centralized in a sense, but even as a centralized organization was driving a huge amount of donations uh, and funding grants going to crypto projects and uh, became more decentralized. And I think as a protocol now, other organizations can even use it too for their own purposes. They've developed some really interesting uh, grant decision making kind of game theoretic uh, things like a quadratic, quadratic uh, voting. Funding, yeah. I can, I can yeah. talk about Gitcoin because Gitcoin was part of our study. So we had 12 impact DAOs in our study and Gitcoin was uh, 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 one of the DAOs included in our study. And uh, Gitcoin transitioned from being a tech company. Uh, you know, they started out as a tech company in 2017. They transitioned into being a DAO in 2021, May 2021. So they're one of the mature impact DAOs in this space, you know, who've, uh, because they had that history. And then obviously the whole chaos of transitioning a company, you know, a typical company into a DAO. But uh, just this morning, I was on a call with them and we're going to be participating. Impact Our Media has uh, been uh, one of the few uh, grantees uh, that will be invited to participate in the alpha round, which is their total decentralized uh, grant uh, protocol. Uh, and uh, previously, we've raised money from them uh, on their platform. Uh, so uh, we're very well tuned with how Gitcoin works. And they use quadratic funding, which is, uh, uh, which basically decides, you know, how the money, how the matching grants the Gitcoin raises from the ecosystem should be deployed. So the more you have uh, people donating to you, even if it's $1, you will get more money from Gitcoin rather than one person giving like $1,000. And if that's the only thing that you have, then you won't get so much in quadra uh, quadratic funding. But if you had like, say, 100 people give you $1, then that's far more valuable because the community is pointing that your project is is supported by more people. You know, there's a, it's more democratic decision making on funding. Yeah, yeah. And so the quadratic part is really interesting to me because this can also apply to DAO governance processes where you could say, and, and I don't know. Like you could use and, and the so, same yeah. for your own budgeting. Like when you are deciding on your budgets for your different work streams in a DAO, you can use a quadratic voting mechanism to figure out, uh, you know, what should get approved, basically where the community is pointing more. So, yeah, th there are far more implications than just funding. Yeah. So could you tell the audience how quadratic voting works? Uh, I'm not so sure about the quadratic voting part of it. I, I believe it will work on the same system as quadratic uh, funding. But quadratic funding is where it basically apply the grants where the community is signaling uh, more support. So if there are like, say, two projects and one project, as I said, raised like $1,000 or say maybe even $10,000 from just two people. While there's another project that just raised five hundred dollars, uh, maybe uh, you know, like uh, from just uh, five hundred dollars, say from two thousand people with some combination small denominators that they gave, then that project, you know, even though they've raised less money, but because they had far more more people donating to their project, they will get more chunk of the quadratic matching grounds than the one that raised uh, a huge amount of money from just say just two people. Yeah. So, so one way to think about it inside a DAO, let's say people have different numbers of the DAO's governance token. And what, what the, I think the quadratic formula would say is something like you get, you, you, your vote gets counted as something like the log of how many tokens you, uh, you put up for the vote. So if you put up one token, you get one vote. If you put up uh, a thousand tokens, you might get like three votes. 
And so it's a way of allowing people who have more money to still have more influence, but not very much more, right? Barely more. And so that's how you can achieve that outcome of like 10 people putting a total of $1,000 in actually will have more voting power than one person putting in $10,000. And yeah, so whether you use it for granting or for voting, it's, it's, it's a really, I think it's a really cool democratic innovation, right? Because you could do the same thing with, with uh, something like a democracy where let's say it was like $1, one vote, but on a logarithmic scale, well, now even the richest person only gets like 100 votes, right? And everyone gets one vote. And so obviously yeah, that has its own that's potential right. downsides. And, but. and quadratic funding was based on a research paper that Vitalik Buterin had written. He had uh, detailed his thoughts on quadratic funding, and that's what Gitcoin embraced and then applied. I think that that was the very first use case of uh, quadratic funding. Yeah. But now with cool. their so- decentralized platform, anybody can use the solution um you know, in apply quadratic funding for their own uh, ecosystem grants or whatever, like within the DAO, if you want to manage, uh, you know, different budgets or grants, you know, you want to give out grants to different, uh, you know, areas of interest that you have as a DAO, you can use their solution to basically apply quadratic funding to that. Yeah, very cool. Some of the other DAOs that are mentioned by this article, Giveth is one, Metagame is one, and they mention Impact DAO and your new book. So I thought that was very cool as well. Um, That's amazing. I would love to see this tweet. I haven't seen it yet, but Metagame, we are working, we're going to be working with Metagame. Uh, We love Metagame. We love Pete. Uh, He was part of the original The DAO and has been in the DAO scene for a very, very long time. And uh, we, uh, as part of Impact DAO Media's future plans, we're trying to gamify a lot of things like just uh, you know learning about impact as we're going to use quest chain which is very gamified and uh, and metagame loves our gamification approach to governance and stuff like that so uh, we're going to be working really closely in the future awesome love it all right um the next story for today is another tweet this one's from daniel ospina who's been on this, sh- this show before uh, early on and uh, he was one of the founders of aragon and he's also a founder now of RN DAO, which is a DAO that is researching DAOs in a very academic uh, manner, as well as incubating professional projects. And the tweet from Daniel is, DAOs have partially failed so far because the approach to creating solutions has been too similar to that of consumer apps, a threat. I'm going to read a few more of these tweets. Uh, consumer apps are built through quickly prototyping your idea, testing, and iterating. Ideas are cheap in this market, and it's all about speed of execution. However, DAOs can be best understood through a deep tech mental model. Hard, complex innovation is needed to make it work. This requires deep thinking and not just fast prototyping. Otherwise, we end up with many solutions that might be tested, but don't really work. Um, so I, I think this is really interesting, right? And the tweet goes on and people should definitely check it out. Um, but at a high level, what Daniel is suggesting is there's a difference between like the move fast and break things approach of uh, Facebook in their early days. And they seem to have uh, broken some things over time on, on the way to developing what they were building uh, versus a more thoughtful approach where you really got to get serious and think about it before you um, just launch your organization and, and see what happens and, and let things break along the way. So I, I I think there's something to this. I, I mean, Daniel's someone I very much respect in the space, and I think it's a really insightful analysis. Um, I would also just say, again, similar to what I commented on earlier about the other tweet, is that there's no one-size-fits-all approach to starting DAOs or to even to developing governance systems. I mean, I think there's some really cool projects that have popped up that have said, hey, like, 
part of the purpose of this DAO is to experiment with this new governance model we came up with or this new software tool that we think is cool. And we know it may or may not work, but we're going to learn something from it and you go give it a try. And so in that case, maybe it makes a little more sense to experiment versus if you're taking, let's say you have a $50 million budget and you want to create an organization that's going to save the rainforest or whatever it is, and you need to pick an organizational model that you're fairly confident will work as a model, then that's probably not the right time to experiment with some new approach to governance or a new you know, tool for building a DAO. That's probably a time to say, you know what, we either need to use something a little more traditional and, and well-proven or be very, very thoughtful about what new governance and organi- organizational structure we choose if we're going to do it in the, in the space of DAOs. So I could see yeah. both sides here. Um, you know, I, I don't really agree with his tweet because I think Daniel is trying to generalize it. The, the DAO landscape is so big and there's so many different types of DAOs. There are DeFi DAOs, there are protocol DAOs, you know, DAOs around protocols, there are DAOs around NFTs, there are DAOs around impact, for instance. And each of these DAOs think very differently. Uh, and as you said, no, no one size fits fits all and everybody designs it to suit their purposes and if there have been failures i would say they've been may have been failures in the more traditional kind of DAOs that came around early on because it's an experiment right like nobody there's no textbooks written about DAOs, right you can't read like a business book and say oh this is how DAO should work like you get on it and you learn and it's a process basically you evolve with that process and through our study with impact DAOs, what we've realized is that impact DAOs really value relationships and uh, just getting to know your community and uh, having one-on-one conversations and just getting to know everybody so i think the way impact DAOs function uh, they function very differently and uh, they uh, their approach is more slow they don't want to go fast they want to move fast and uh, fix things, you know, Uh, they want to move fast and fix things, not break things, unlike Facebook. But at the same time, they're very value aligned and they know why they're in it together. They're in it together to do something good. And so it's very important uh, that uh, you get to know your community because you all will be working together. It's not a protocol that will automate our decisions and stuff like that. Like, you know, uh, it's going to be very human coordinated, human uh, oriented, very much uh, knowing who the person is that you're working with. So uh, I, I don't necessarily agree with Daniel. Maybe he's making a generalization. Uh, it's, this tweet seems to be like a very, uh, it doesn't relate to all kinds of DAOs, basically, what I mean to say. Hmm. Yep. Cool. All right. Uh, The last story for today is from quorummedia.xyz, written by Samantha Marin, who's been on the show and is one of our favorite uh, authors. Um, And the headline is, Undesigning a DAO. I recently worked on a project to design the new Aragon Delegated Voting DAO. By the end of it, I was looking at DAOs in a completely different way, in a good way. This is a really cool article. So Samantha was involved in redesigning one of the top 20 DAOs uh, by market cap, which is Aragon, which was one of the first DAO platforms. So it's like a DAO that governs a DAO tool and a really important one. And I think it's really interesting, uh, the analysis that Samantha has in this article. So first she goes into what she calls the sliding scale of organizations, where you look at all the different types of organizations that are out there and you can kind of put them on a scale between bureaucracy and anarchy where bureaucracy is like highly, highly, highly governed, process-oriented, structured, 
have to do things a way that's predefined in every regard versus on the opposite end of the scale is anarchy, where there's no rules and you do whatever you want to do. And so uh, one example of bureaucracy is governments. And uh, one example of anarchy is Burning Man uh, Festival. And then DAOs, it's like, are they in between? Are they in this weird middle ground? Are they trying to be like, which side are they trying to be on? Um, And so then Samantha goes on to talk about, you know, first of all, the pull of bureaucracy is very strong that you often end up in a situation where you're you're doing some work and something goes wrong and you say oh man like we should make a rule so that this thing doesn't go wrong again in the future or we should change our governance so that this doesn't happen again happen again in the future and and part of what she's describing is that you need to be careful about that and the reason for that which gets into the meat of what Samantha is arguing here is that it's really important for DAOs to understand what they can enforce and what they cannot enforce because some of the there are some rules that you can absolutely enforce by code or by law and there are some rules that you absolutely cannot and what she ends up arguing is that take the rules that you can enforce on a blockchain and make rules and and enforce those and then but then understands when you're making like more of a guideline or a practice like a cultural element that you absolutely cannot enforce and if you can't enforce it don't try to enforce it Right. So examples of things that fall under the enforceable by code or law uh, side of her, her pyramid is uh, what's the quorum for a vote? What's the pass rate for a vote? Um, what are the laws in whatever jurisdiction you choose for your DAO that you absolutely have to follow? And then on the opposite end of the scale are practices. So things like um, uh, being agile and having a social hour and sub teams or internal teams. How do they operate? How do they make decisions? Uh, Compensation, right? Where things are going to have to change over time. And so with their new model, what they've tried to do is say, okay, what are the things that can be automated and enforced on a blockchain? Let's build those into our DAO. And then what are the things that are outside of that scope? And let's leave those things out of our core governance, right? And so one of the things that she does is she actually quotes Vitalik Buterin again, saying that DAOs are automation at the center and human at the edges. So let the automation do what it's good at and let the humans do what they're good at, which is be flexible and be uh, anti-fragile is a word that she uses through their flexibility. Um, So have the... Uh, again, have the enforceable stuff enforced and the human stuff, leave it to the humans. Yeah, I agree with a lot of things she said. And I love the, you know, the the spectrum, like the approach from bureaucracy to anarchy. And uh, I feel, and what you said that there's a greater pull towards bureaucracy is because DAOs are obsessed with this democratic decision-making. They think because we have to decentralize power, we need to be extremely democratic. And if you look at democratic countries, like I come from one of the largest uh, democratic country in the world, which is India, it is highly bureaucratic, right? Like, because now there are so many, so much you have to do, like so much paperwork processes. And I started feeling the same in my DAO, uh, uh, because I, I was totally new to the DAO world and I launched as a DAO from the get-go. And suddenly there are people in my DAO who have experiences working in other DAOs and they come in like, hey, but why aren't we voting on this? I'm like, do we really need to take a vote on this? Like uh, we've taken a vote on the budget, which is the most important part, right? That's the fund allocation. Like how should everybody get compensated? How should the budget be divided? I think that's the most important part. Now moving on, uh, do we need to take vote on everything? Like what should this color be? Or what should, uh, you know, like this questionnaire? Like, 
it would just waste so much time and I just started feeling very frustrated. I'm like, wow, this is so bureaucratic. And I actually uh, invited a panel on my podcast to talk about voting, you know, like just how much voting is good voting. And then through a study, we had um, KlimaDAO part of a study and they launched as a DAO from day one um, Klima and uh, they've learned important lessons around voting and uh, just the whole bureaucratic nature and then getting everybody to just vote on everything. And uh, after almost a year of going through that, uh, that up you know, that chaos, the wording and the obsession with democracy, they've totally redesigned their org structure. They've redesigned their governance mm. that makes sense now. You know, it didn't make sense before to have all the hundred people who had votes to vote on the logo, you know, like it didn't yeah, make sense. Yeah. They, some of them don't even have the expertise, you know, they don't have that visual aesthetics yeah. to be able to say, okay, this looks good, doesn't look good, you know. Yep. Yep. I love it. And and budget is, I agree, it's a great thing. It fits into Samantha's model really well because blockchains are really good with money. And so exactly, it makes sense yeah. that you would approve the budget on chain and then automatically distribute the budget, right? To the teams that, that need the money. That, that That's yeah. what Gitcoin does. So we studied Gitcoin as part of a study and Gitcoin has multiple levels of decision making. A lot of decision making is done off chain so they will put out a proposal on discourse people discuss it on discourse once it they seem fit that the proposal should go up on snapshot for voting like you know if there's enough uh, people supporting it then after it's been discussed heavily on discourse it goes on snapshot where they take an off-chain vote and after that it goes on tally and tally is mm. the only automated part of the, their DAO actually because then tally uh, just displays Versus like, especially when it comes to uh, fund allocation for the different work streams and they have it almost every quarter because they run four quarterly grant rounds on, uh, you know, on the platform. And so uh, you, uh, Tally just automatically disperses funds to the various work streams based on how the discussions, you know, took place on Snapshot and Tally yeah. is basically the final on-chain automatic stuff in the DAO. Otherwise, everything is very human-centered, you know, and human-coordinated. Awesome. All right. That does it for the Just Dow It News Report. Uh, thank you, Deepa, for joining us for that. And a reminder, everyone, please tune in again later in the week for the in-depth interview with Deepa. Um, Deepa, where can people find you and the projects you've mentioned on the web and on social? Oh, uh, so we uh, have um, published a book as a digital book um, as of moment and it's available on impactdaos.xyz that is i-m-p-a-c-t-d-a-o-s dot x-y-z they can also find us on our twitter handle impactdaos uh these are the two places that we are really active on and um, yeah definitely go check out the book we are very inspired by balaji's model of uh, you know keeping books uh, alive and updated and go digital first rather than go print and uh, treat books as app as an app and keep issuing updates because you know in crypto like one year uh, one day is equivalent to almost five years so by the time you published your book it's already outdated so our book is stored as a code on github and we'll continuously make updates and it'll automatically get updated on the website that's really cool. We're definitely going to dig into that later in the week. Sounds really interesting. Um, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at 0xThriller or MyDAO is at MyDAODS. That's M-I-D-A-O-D-S or MyDAO.org. And to the audience, are you thinking about starting a DAO? Just DAO it. Just Dow It is for educational and entertainment purposes only. 
Just Dow It does not contain any legal or financial advice. My Dow also does not provide legal or financial advice, and nor does your host, yours truly. <laughs>